Well, thank you, Kiran, and the basic music team. Good evening, everyone. Now, we're going to start on a three-part series in June about reaching different groups of people. Uh, this weekend is about the youth, followed by the unreached, and then the elderly. Now, as you can see, the weekend service is led by basic, our youth ministry uh, in, in ARPC. And the best way, really, to follow this sermon is to have your Bibles open. Now, we will be mainly looking at Deuteronomy 6. However, this sermon is not going to be an expository of the thoughts. We're not going to just look at what just Deuteronomy 6 is talking about. But instead, we are going to draw lessons from what Moses instructed Israel just before they enter the Promised Land. Right? Let's just have a short prayer before we start. Yep. Our dear Heavenly Father, we, we ask God that you will humble us and prepare our hearts to receive your word of life. Help me to proclaim it with clarity and may your spirit enable all of us to leave your word for your glory. Amen. See, just the other day, I came back from uh, my grocery shopping and uh, holding up bags and stuff and that, and then I was walking towards my HTV block. And along the void deck, uh, of my adjacent block, I saw a group of children walking on the ledges, climbing on all the railings and jumping off from height. For, for, for a moment, I was, I was stunned. Wow, what are these children doing? It's so dangerous, right? To me, that was danger zone, right? No kids should be doing that. They could really get hurt if they fell or they, they knocked into something. Now, I was particularly nervous for them because my own kid had to be in stitches for doing something similar. But then I saw a few instructors with this group of children, telling them what to do and watching over them. Now, I think it's probably some kind of a neighborhood parkour or, or confident course of sorts. Right? It is to perhaps to develop their motor skills and to build confidence in these kids. But to me, it was danger zone. Right? And sometimes, this is how we look at the teenager stage, otherwise known as the adolescent years. See, they are no longer the kids who will obey everything you say. See, they are exerting themselves in different ways, have different opinions and emotions. They become more self-aware and more concerned about how they look, especially in front of others. You notice the time they spend in the toilet extends longer and longer and longer, right? And then you don't seem to understand your child or, or your nephew or niece anymore. Yet these years are the years of formation. You know, as Paul Tripp says in his book, this is the age of opportunity. Opportunity to speak the gospel into their lives as they face the different challenges changes and situations in life. It's a little like the parkour training. It looks dangerous. They can hurt badly. But it's also the best place and the best time to grow. Now, as I speak to you about the topic of reaching the youth, I do not come to you as you know, a parent of two youths in my household who got it all together. Neither am I coming to you as a youth pastor who is supposed to know everything about reaching the youth. There were so many times when I'm like you, frustrated, 
defeated, wondering if I have done something wrong and figuring out the best way forward. But as Christians, we know that God's word is sufficient for all of life. And we're going to look at it to gain godly wisdom about reaching the youth. And can I say that this is not only for youth and for their parents? For what Moses said in Deuteronomy 6 applies to all, for he spoke to all. The same demands from God of us is the same whether we are young or old. And we face the same struggles, even if they manifest in different situations and contexts. And furthermore, the church is the family of Christ. We all have a responsibility to reach the youth in this family of Christ. They too look at your lives, whether as leaders or or members of your, their parents' DG, or just members of the church, they will see you and they watch you to know whether this God is really worth following and whether this faith is worth believing in. So how do we reach the youth for Christ? Well, we must firstly know the aim of what we are doing. You know, before COVID-19, my family went to Bintan for a short holiday with another family with kids of a similar age, right? Everybody was just really excited about going, right? Because going to spend a, lot, a few days playing with one another. But little did we know that the ferry ride was not as easy, even if it was relatively short. So we hit choppy seas and, 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 and the ferry was just rocking, like splash, splash, splash. And all the cheerful, happy noises that we hear from the kids suddenly died down and it's replaced with all the... Uh, 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 right? See, all, all we could do was just to encourage each other that it will be soon over and we will have a good time of having fun together. Now, that helped with the perseverance. Knowing the destination helped us endure and even enjoy the journey better. So similarly, we need to know our final destination, the aim as we reach, disciple, and parent our youth. So what are we aiming for? In reaching youth for Christ, we need to help them know who our God is. See, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, Moses told the Israelites to hear this, The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now together with verse 5, this is commonly known to the Israelites as the Shema. It is the center of their beliefs and what is required of them. See, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, can firstly mean that God is the unique and incomparable God amongst the many gods in the land. But secondly, being one can also mean that he is not divided into many parts or does not manifest in different ways as belief of other gods in the land as well. And thirdly, being one can mean his unchangeableness and his consistency. Now I say I'm not going to dwell too much on this exposition, but regardless of whether this statement is about God is about his uniqueness, about his singularity or his integrity, 
What is clear is that Yahweh, the Lord, is the only covenant partner of Israel. It was He who loved them. It was, it was He who saved them despite their rebellion and their lack of faith. And after years of rebellion in the desert, and at the edge of the promised land, they were once again reminded and called to make their commitment anew to this covenantal God exclusively. Therefore, this verse is literally a declaration of who God is, and at the same time, the complete, undivided, and unqualified devotion to God. And it was particularly important at this point because Israel will face many temptations to forget this God and to be drawn to other gods of the land. Now for us today, 1 Corinthians 8 verse 5 to 6 tells us that Jesus Christ is equally known as the Lord. The Lord that is in the Old Testament is also applied to Jesus. Addressing the issue of, of idolatry, Paul said, for although there may be the so-called gods in heaven and on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father from whom all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord. Jesus Christ, through whom all, are all things and through whom we exist. So for us today now as Christians, we know that Jesus did not just save us from slavery from a country, but slavery to Satan and sin. And despite our sin and rebellion, Jesus came to die for our salvation. So this is the aim for our use. We want them to know who this God is and who Jesus is. The loving God who came to save when there is no other, and there is no other. But that's not all. You see, in the context, it is in this context of God's covenantal love and faithfulness that God's people are called to respond. See, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, God's people are then to Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Now, as we know it, this commandment did not change in the New Testament because when Jesus was asked about it, he said that this is the first and foremost commandment to love your Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your might. It is, a, it is to love God in response to his love for us. So verse 5 then describes how we are to love God. Well, we are firstly to love him with all our heart. You know, in the modern usage now, the heart refers to the feelings and the emotions, right? When you say to a boy or a girl, oh, I give you my heart. It's like I'm giving you my feelings, my emotions, I love you, right? But in Hebrew, the heart includes both the feelings, the emotions, as well as the will and the thoughts. Right? It's more than just the center of our emotions. It's also the seat of our will, our intentions, and our intellect. Right? So hence, our love for God is not just about emotions, but it is a commitment and a decision 
in both our will and emotions. Secondly, we are to love our God with all our soul. Now, what does that mean? Now, soul here refers to the whole self. That means we are to love God with our whole self in single-mindedness and completion. So this love for God is not meant to be compartmentalized, you know, to different situations and different times. If I come to church, I love God. When I'm out there with my friends, I do not love God. No, it is the whole of yourself, right? And lastly, we are to love God with all our might. Now, literally, the word means with muchness or exceedingly. Now, it means that we are to love God with all our resources, with all our gifts, with our energy, our time, and our abilities. So as the Old Testament scholars say, Moses is calling all Israelites to love God without reservation, without qualification, beginning with the inner being and then moving out to the whole person and ending with all one claims as its own. So this is literally the Old Testament version of Romans chapter 12, verse 1 to 2. We are to love and worship God in response to His love and salvation. So this is the aim for us, for our youth, for our children, and should I say, actually for all of us. In all our ministry to anyone, we are reaching out to them so that they will know who this God is what He has done for us, and to love Him in total commitment and allegiance in response to His love. Yes, there will be plenty of statutes and rules that you will read the rest of Deuteronomy. That's why it is. However, the premise of obedience is on this singular commandment to love the Lord. And you can look at verse 6. The words that Moses commanded shall be on your heart. See, they must know who this God is and what He has done so that their obedience and their actions comes out from their hearts. It's a will, it's a commitment, it's their intention. And it's to be internalized. Now, what this means for us is that our aim is ultimately not to just correct behavior or change behavior. See, there's great tendency for us, right? Uh, well, me included, to just focus on the behavior of people, your children or your youths, right? Ah, you should be studying. Why are you playing instead? Stop. Stop being on your phone for so long. Right? Tidy up your room. Dress appropriately. Go to church now. That is what we say to our youths, right? See, we get equilibrium and we feel that we have done our job, right, when they behave rightly. See, none of us really want to have a long counselling session to find out the reasons why they're behaving this way. And we really don't want to spend a lot of time talking about the reasons for acting rightly. See, on the other hand, we often think that our children not our use, they are okay as long as they are hardworking, they are getting good grades, they are having accident on their report card, right? And as long as they go to church, they are fine. We have done our job. 
But such a focus on the outward behavior is as someone as someone describes winning the battles but losing the war. The obedience that God demands is not primarily an external performance or a legalistic conformity to the law. See, obedience is not to be root, it's supposed to be rooted in the heart that demonstrates itself in life, in actions and commitment. See, the godly behavior we hope for must be the fruit from a heart that loves God. See, if not, they will just go back to their old ways the moment they are no longer under your authority. See, borrowing an illustration that I read somewhere, there's really no point stapling apples on a tree that is rotting because fundamentally it is not producing apples. There must be a change in the tree. So how do we reach our use for Christ? Well, firstly, we must not merely focus on their behavior, but to help them know who God is so that they can love the Lord wholeheartedly. But secondly, we must know and address the dangers and idols that threaten to draw their hearts away. If you do not know by now, there is a war for the hearts of our youths and all God's people. It is fiercer than a war that Israel has you know, had to embark on in the conquest. It's fiercer than the war that we find in Ukraine or any wars in the world. See, Moses knew that, and that's why he gave his hearers warnings about the three dangers that will draw hearts away from God. See, there are idols that are really vying for the wholehearted devotion and allegiance to God. And these dangers and idols prove to be very real in the history of Israel. See, if you read the book of Judges, they forgot about the Lord just one generation after this. Now that should send some shivers down our spine, right? And what are these dangers and idols? Let us look at them from verses 10 to 19 and see how they might play out for us today. Well, the warning about these dangers are marked by the word less and do not in verses 12, 14, and 16. Now, the first one is the danger of success, which give birth to the idol of self-sufficiency. If you see from the passage, God kept his promise and brought them to the land, and they get plenty of good stuff as a result. Great and good cities, houses full of good things, plenty of wells, vineyards, and olive trees. And the best life for Singaporeans, they will eat and be full. That is what the Gettys team told us, you know, when we brought them out for supper. They said, oh, it's just so much food and you guys can keep eating, right? That's our favourite pastime, right? But here comes the warning and danger in verse 12. When you are full, then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. See, for many of our youths today, a lot of things are on the platter for them materially. 
See, we live in an age of abundance, you could say. See, many of us may also be gifted tremendously in our intellect, in our abilities. Or some may even see themselves as very moral and obedient children. Now, the danger then is to think that there is no need for God. What they may be thinking to themselves, well, my life goes on pretty good, pretty smoothly without God, you could say. In fact, God may even be seen as a burden and hindrance to their further success. See, the time and energy they have to spend in church could be used to study more, work more, to have further success and achievements. Or perhaps God's standard of holiness, of integrity may be seen as a hindrance to enjoyment and profits. And we can see that in Israel's life. When they forget God, as we read in the prophets and even in Nehemiah, they begin to trade on the Sabbath and use unfair weights to bully the poor in order to gain more. So facing this danger, what is needed? Moses tells us that in, about the answer to that in verse 13. They are to fear the Lord. People need to have a good and a godly, holy reverence and submission to God. They need to see where they stand before God, who is the creator and the provider and the judge. Instead of forgetting who God is, they need to remember that none of what they have, what they have achieved, is by their merits or efforts. See, everything that they received in the land is punctuated with the words, you did not. Good and great cities that you did not build. See, all these things were given by God. So likewise, for many of us, we need to help our youth see that whatever we have, including our abilities, our intellect, comes from the Lord. See, once we forget that, our hearts will wander away. We become proud and think that we, we are self-sufficient, we do not need God. In a sense, you can say that that is the sin of Adam and Eve the people at the Tower of Babel, and the people of Israel eventually. However, when they truly fear the Lord, recognizing who He is and who we are in relation to Him, then we will serve Him and give full allegiance to Him. That's the first danger. The second danger is the danger of our surrounding culture. See, Moses warned the Israelites in verse 14 not to go after the gods, the gods of the peoples who are around them. Now you might think, why would the Israelites do this? Why would they go after all these gods? Well, very often in those times, it is to assimilate into the surrounding culture and people. In those days, they formed alliances and trade by accepting each other's gods. See, rejecting their gods would be deemed as hostility. 
And furthermore, there were promises that comes with worshipping these gods. Right? For example, if they worship Baal, there's a promise of fertility. And for us in our youth today, the same danger remains. See, very often we ask the question of who we are in this world. What is my place? What is my significance? Where do I belong? Now, as our youth grow more and more aware of themselves, they'll be asking themselves, themselves these questions. Now, even adults ask these questions, especially in midlife, right? For youth, they might seek their significance and identity in the expectations and the standards of this world. Right? In, in order to know who they are or where do they belong, they might think that they are someone, they are somewhat significant when they have certain grades, they are studying in certain schools, and they are in certain profession. And they may land up pursuing academic excellence, not for honouring God, but for the sake of finding their worth and significance in this world. And even in recent times, we see a swing in people going for vocations that help people. Now, nothing wrong with those, and I want to encourage people to go into the kind of vocations, but at the same time, if we are not careful, it is another way, another avenue of finding significance instead of being motivated by the love of God. And on the other hand, some may be trying to find their significance and identity in relationships. Now, we all have a social need because we are all created as relational beings. However, in sin, we may end up pursuing relationships to be accepted and to find our place. And I'm talking not just about boy and girl's relationship, just relationship with people. And this can be disastrous when we drift away from God and do things that are wrong in order to fit in to a particular group. Now, this is the danger of the surrounding culture and their gods. They promise to fulfill our needs, our significance, our identity and acceptance. However, they are but idols which cannot ultimately fulfill those needs. See, we in our youth need to hear from God's word that our worth is not in what we own, what we achieve, and who we associate with. See, Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 7 to 8 tells us that Israel did not become his people because they were strong or good. It was simply because God chose to love them and made them his people. So my friends, likewise, we are chosen to be God's church and his people because of the love of God in Christ Jesus. It has nothing to do with our works, our achievement, and our associations. See, our significance and our identity are rooted in the love of Christ. So we need not pursue the gods of this world to find their significance. Now the last danger is the danger of suffering. 
Now verse 16 tells us that you shall not put the Lord your God to the test as you tested him at Massa. Now the account at Massa was recorded for us in Exodus chapter 17. The Israelites came to the desert after crossing the Red Sea by day, ran out of water. Interestingly, Deuteronomy 8 seems to say that all the situations in the desert were really to test the people to know what was in their hearts. Will they trust God? Will they obey His commandments? However, after all that they have witnessed God, what He did in Egypt and at the Red Sea, they failed to trust Him. They instead tested God with their grumbling. They questioned whether God will really bring them safely through the desert into the Promised Land. Now, my friends, the same test comes to us and our use today. See, very often we have the idols of security and comfort. Now, we presume that God will bless us by giving us what we want. We presume that by following God, life will be smooth sailing and trouble-free according to our wishes. See, when we have such expectations or such idols of security and comfort, we can easily get bitter or disappointed with God. You know, perhaps God made us different from others. Perhaps we are made not as academically gifted as others. Perhaps we are not as physically attractive as others or popular like others. Perhaps we didn't get to the course we wanted to attend. Or perhaps we didn't get the girlfriend or boyfriend that we wanted or hoped for. And furthermore, there may be situations that, that we do not welcome that came into our lives, such as poverty, illness, family issues, that make us struggle or impede somewhat in worldly terms. See, we can so easily be like the Israelites to think that God is being unfair and that He's not loving and that He's not trustworthy enough. See, facing such dangers, our youths and us need to hear, to remember and to trust that God never fails us. His love endures forever, and all the more so for us as Christians now, for He has given His Son to die for us. He who has given His Son in that way will not withhold anything good from us. So we must see beyond the worldly security and comfort and to trust in the Lord. See, these three dangers and idols are very real because we see them turning the hearts of Israel. And if you know your Bible well, Satan tempted Jesus in pretty much the same way in Matthew 4. And Jesus' responses and defenses were all taken from Deuteronomy chapter 6 to 8. Hence, we and our youth need to have the Word of God to avoid these dangers and to defend against these idols. So how do we reach our youth for Christ? 
Firstly, we must not merely focus on their behavior, but to help them know who God is so that they can love the Lord wholeheartedly. Secondly, we must know and address the dangers and idols that threaten to draw their hearts away. And lastly, we must live and teach God's word to our youths. See, the solution to the dangers and the idols is the word of God. There's nothing else. For the, God, the word of God reveals the spiritual realities and brings us to trust in the Lord. But how can our youths receive the word of God? Well, the answer in Deuteronomy 6 is the family. You see, you look at verses 7 to 9, it tells us that parents have the primary responsibility to teach God's word diligently to their children. See, the primary evangelism and discipleship of our children is done in the household. Well, yes, it can be supplemented by the family of God, but surely it cannot be outsourced. And why is that so? Well, that's because the family, the physical family is who we meet every day, right? They will see their parents lived out their love for God and their obedience to the commandments. You see, the phrasing in verse 7 suggests that. See, parents are to teach or to impress upon their children the word of God when they sit, when they walk, when they lie down, and when they rise. Now this means that God's word is taught repeatedly in the household. Now it is part of their daily conversations from the start of the day to the end of the day. From daytime to bedtime, they are to seize every opportunity to instruct and impart God's word. Now that doesn't mean that you always have to carry a Bible everywhere you go, right? You brush your teeth, you carry the Bible. When you eat, you carry the Bible. No, you don't do that. But that means is that we can use every moment to instruct God's Word. Now, that is only possible if God's Word is lived out and if it permeates in every part of our lives. See, the, the part in the verses 8 to 9 about having the commandment on our bodies, door frames, and gates of the city, you know, it can be read literally or metaphorically. Now, there's evidence that it was taken, it was taken literally among the Israelites. They really have things like the frontlets in, on their heads. However, the essence of it is that it is to be lived out. You know, some, some time back, I found it quite amusing that uh, when, when my daughter invited a few of her friends to come to our house, on the ways the friends were just talking to each other. And then they told each other in the presence of my daughter, saying, Remember, when we go into the house, we cannot speak vulgar words anymore. See, they clearly know that such behavior is not to be tolerated in our household. They know that we seek to live out God's word. And in verse 20, the fact that a child will ask his parents about the meaning and the significance of God's commandments means that their parents' obedience is observable. But even as I say that, there still must be intentional 
and regular teaching of God's Word to our children. Now, let me say that that doesn't mean that you just give them the Bible, give them a Christian book. Go, go and read by yourselves. Now, God's family must read God's Word together. Now, of course, sometimes we may need help, you know, to read with some kind of devotional material. But whatever it is, we need to read it intentionally and we need to read it regularly. Now, let me do an advertisement here, right? If you really need some help, you can just sign up for basics. We have this planted telegram channel where there are some questions, simple questions for you to guide you in your reading. You can just sign up for it and read with your children. And you can even adjust it according to your needs, right? Because there are a lot of passages in every day. You can just read one passage and, and go through some of the questions. But let me just give you a few practical pointers about family devotions. Now, firstly, make it a regular and specific time every day. And choose the best time. And I can tell you from experience, the time just before bedtime is not a good time. Right? They are tired, they're not going to listen to you, and then you get frustrated as well. But secondly, let God's Word set the agenda. Now resist the temptation to use devotion time as an opportunity to bash your kid, right? Or to nag them to obedience. See, 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 God's Word tells you to tidy up your room, right? But I suggest that even as you read God's Word, you will share your own struggles and your own weakness in respond to God's word. And thirdly, prepare beforehand. Now we prepare for a lot of things in our lives. Every day before you go to work, you prepare for your presentation slides, you prepare for your work. We also plan for our children's tuition, we plan for their piano lessons and what have you. But shouldn't we prepare and plan ahead for perhaps the most important thing, which is to read God's Word? See, if we are not doing it, something, wrong, something is wrong, isn't it? It reflects what, where our priorities are and what our ultimate aim is. If we prepare for other things and we prepare to teach our children God's Word. But lastly, let me encourage you to persevere and not to be discouraged. There will be times when the children do not cooperate, they will pick fights with you, and they will show their impatience, is this over, is this over, is this over? Now every part of you feels like, oh man, I prepared so hard and you feel unappreciated. And then you don't feel like doing it anymore. Or perhaps you are thinking, that, oh, this is futile. Well, just to let you know, it happens in the youth pastor's family too. See, I have no secret formula for you. Now, of course, you can go around asking for more creative ideas on doing that, but I just want to encourage you, don't give up. See, reading, or reading God's Word and seeing leave out is the only means in which they can know God and guard themselves against the dangers and idols of this world. Now, in ending, let me just say a few words of encouragement to parents of youth, and perhaps also to our leaders. 
See, there's no guarantee that godly parents will produce godly children. See, even if you do it almost legalistically or perfectly, there's no guarantee that they will all turn out Christians. There's also no guarantee that faithful youth leaders will certainly have faithful youths. See, we know that at the end of the day, salvation belongs to the Lord. However, we are to obey what God has instructed us to do, to live and to teach the gospel. And we pray that God will shower His grace and His mercy on our youth, that He may change their hearts of stone to hearts of flesh, so that they will love God wholeheartedly. And even if they may show signs of being a lost son or a lost daughter at this moment, let us be encouraged that God is not done with them yet. There might still be a day when they will see their foolishness and know that following God and His way is the best way to live. And if you are youth listening to this, let me encourage you never to give up reading God's Word. It is really the only way you can stand against the ways of this world. I want to encourage you even you have questions or then things are dying a certain way and you really don't know why then feel free to ask. Ask your parents, ask your youth leaders, do not assume. And through that, you may know that what we all do and what we live out is indeed a response of what God has done for us in Christ Jesus. And may that encourage us to live for Him. Let us pray. Father, we come humbly before you. We come humbly before you and to thank you for your salvation and your love that is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. Indeed, we who were rebels, we who were far away, are now known as your children, as your people. But forgive us, Lord, for we know that our hearts are so prone to wander. Wander away from you, wander away from your love. But choose to worship and find our significance, our security in things of this world. Father, we pray, God, that by your grace and mercy, you will always turn our hearts back to you. Fill us with the truth of your word so that we will not turn away but to be able to love you with all our heart, with all our soul, and with all our might. And all this for your glory we pray. Amen.